Thank you, Pastor Sergio. We, Philadelphia does have a better football team. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it's such a joy to be with you, Richland family. Evelyn and I have been looking forward to this Sabbath and this weekend together. And um, a lot of things going on in the world, aren't there? The title of the message that will be presenting to you is, are we ready for this? <laughs> Ask the person next to you, are you ready for this? Well, I don't know. <laughs> ready or not, here it comes, amen? Amen. amen. Father in heaven, as we continue in, in, in your presence, Lord, we thank you for worship. We thank you for the songs and, that were elevated as adoration and praise unto thee, O God. We thank you for being an awesome God. And Lord, for just a few minutes, we want to just tear apart Luke chapter 10. We just want to get nuggets of gold and truth and beauty out of your passage. And so Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that through the power of the Holy Spirit, your heart would be exposed to your people. Help us to see from your view, from your perspective, because now is the time, and we pray that we may be found ready, made ready. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Perhaps you read in the Gleaner a little story about me losing my five-year-old son. Any of you read that story? Okay. Well, what happened was that I was there at Andrews University, and I was preparing for an exam. My younger son was sleeping in the crib, and my five-year-old was riding his bike in front of the apartment called Beachwood Apartments. Anybody go to Andrews? Okay, Beachwood Apartments. Here we are. A45 was the apartment number, and my wife was, I don't know, but praise the Lord, she wasn't home that afternoon. But when I looked out the window, I didn't see him. Some time had elapsed, and um, when I went out, he was nowhere to be found. So I started my search for him, and an hour went by, and I couldn't find him. Two hours went by, and I still couldn't find him. So usually I'm calm, cool, collective. But I wasn't that day. I began to lose it. I didn't know what to do. I began to think the worst. I began to panic, really. I continued my search for him, and my young one, my little one, he's just about a year old at that time, was, as I mentioned, in his crib, so I handed him to somebody next to me, or that lived next to me, and uh, it wouldn't have worked if that person had said, Minner, don't worry about it. You have one. You don't need the other one. <laughs> Any moms? <laughs> what would you say to that? <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. That doesn't work when you say, well, we have one. We don't need the other one. My heart was in a state of panic that I hadn't experienced before. 
We found his bike near the woods behind some other apartments there. I think they were called Garland. And he was near a playground there, and it was beginning to get dark. Security had gotten involved. We were, no one knew where he was. And I just want to stop the story for a moment to share with you that it was at that moment that I began to understand the heart of God. You know, a lot of us, we think we love well as parents. But Jesus went further where he said, look, if you, being evil, know how to do good things for your children, or give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to you? And if you think you love well, in the eyes and compared to God, we fall short in our love. So here I am in a panic, wondering what to do next. And the Lord was revealing to me his heart for his children. Are we ready for this? Are we ready to expose the heart of God? Are, are we ready for this? God is so different than we are. Our love is passive. Our love is conditional. Our love is filled with all sorts of restrictions and all sorts of boundaries and all sorts of bondage. We don't love well. We don't love well. My prayer, my hope is that we would be a people that love well. That love like God loves. A lavish love, an agape love, a love that loves you so unconditionally. His love is greater than my love for my son could ever be. In my search for him as the night began to come and, and my friends were all looking and security was looking and the police are about to be called, finally someone said that they saw several young kids go up into an apartment in the third floor of Garland or one of those apartment complexes. And so I went door to door knocking, looking for my son. And I remember that when I knocked on one specific door, the lady looked at my face and knew immediately what was going on. She instantly knew the panic, the horror on my face. She said, oh no. I said, ma'am, is my son in here? She just threw the door open and stood back for me to walk in. And I did. And there, playing, I think, Nintendo back in that day. It was, it was back in the day, Jesse. It was way back. It was my little boy. So what do I do when I see him? Well, I'm going to try not to get emotional. I'm not an emotional man. I'm tough. <laughs> Don't say anything, Evelyn. So I see my little boy. I get down on one knee. He sees my face, and he instantly starts crying. He knew from looking at me that it was horrible. So he comes to me and he hugs me and cries. I hug him and cry. And I held him and I walked all the way home holding him as tight as I could because my little boy was where he belonged in the arms of his father. And when I got home, I got the little one and I got both of them and I held on to both of them. If I were to expose the heart of God for us, for you, for his children, words would not do it justice. 
God is a God of compassion and of mercy, but somehow we have turned Him into a God of demand, a God of expectations, a God of only compliance, a God of whatever you want to do. Listen, our God is a God of unlimited, unimaginable, unwavering, indescribable love. So great is the love of the Father. There's a passage here in Luke 10 that exposes the heart of the Lord, the heart of God for His children. Now, to many, it's a boring passage. It's the kind of passage that we often in our study just kind of look at and we just kind of glean over. But I want to expose several points in this passage that will expose the heart of God. The heart of God for you. And not just for you that are safe in the crib. But the heart of God for those that are outside, where they don't know the trouble they're in, where they don't know the danger they're in. See, God's love is not just for us in the home. God's love is for those that are outside the family that He wants to bring in. That's where His heart is, for you and for them. And so in Luke chapter 10, we see the story of Jesus with His disciples. Jesus has had a hard time up to this point because the ministry was sort of struggling a little bit. But in Luke chapter 10, he gathers 70 of his disciples, or 70 that he called together, and he set them out two by two. But what happens next, and I want to encourage you to write down seven nuggets, seven truths in these select verses that I'll bring out from the passage. Now usually it's three. But I'm going to give you seven. And if we run out of time, I'll give you the others at Vespers. Is that all right? Okay, so here we are, Luke chapter 10. Are we ready for this? The first thing that we find in Luke chapter 10 is are we ready for the harvest? Now, when you talk about a harvest, it says there, Jesus said to them, the harvest truly is great. There's a great harvest. I've been to too many churches where people say soul winning doesn't happen here. Have you ever heard that? Evangelism doesn't work in our church. I've heard that in too many places. Now, think with me for a moment about a story found in Acts chapter 7. A man named Stephen. Now, a man named Stephen was a deacon. Now, he preached a tremendous sermon filled with the Holy Spirit. And as Stephen is preaching, the Bible says that the people gnashed their teeth at him. They were so filled with fury and hatred towards Stephen that they took him out of the city and they were going to execute him. They were going to literally stone him to death. Now, I ask you a question. Is there a harvest there? Because at first a glance and at first appearance, there's no harvest. So as we look at the heart of God in this passage and ask the question, are we ready for this? God is saying, is it possible that there was a harvest in Acts chapter 7 with Stephen stoning? Is it possible that there is a gathering of souls everywhere across the land? There are people that are dying for a message of hope and wholeness. There are people that don't know where to turn. There are people that are living one day at a time in darkness without much hope. Jesus says the harvest is great. Because while they were there stoning Stephen, 
there was a man named Saul of Tarsus that was holding the coats. A violent man he was, arrogant, boastful, very compliant with everything expected from the church then. You wouldn't think there'd be a harvest. But there was a harvest there. I remember early in my ministry, Evelyn and I went to a particular church in the north central part of the state of Florida. And I remember I walked into this little church with about 20 people attending. And I told them that the Lord had souls to be one in that city. And they said, oh, you're too young. You don't know. But in this community, there is no one to be harvested. There are no souls here. <laughs> okay. That's what you think, but let's do it anyway. Indulge me. I'm new. I'm young. I don't know any better. Let, let's do something for our community. And I remember when that baptistry that hadn't been filled in years was filled and the souls began to enter the watery grave of baptism. One by one, they started coming in. It was glorious to see the Holy Spirit break through this community. When that little church reached a point that there was only standing room in this little tiny sanctuary, but they were all filled with the love of Christ because His will was being done. You see, don't ever say that the harvest is not great because it is. The harvest is great. Point one. So are we ready for the harvest? Are we ready for the call? Ready for the call. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. The laborers are few. Now, when you look at the part that says the laborers are few, it sounds like God didn't do a good job managing his harvest, doesn't it? Because if I were the manager or the owner of a farm, and it was time for the harvest, and I didn't have enough employees, enough farmhands, whose problem would that be? It would be the manager's fault. Or is it possible that perhaps the manager did bring enough employees, did bring enough laborers for the harvest, but is it possible that they didn't show up for work? Is it possible that they were so busy doing other things that they just don't have time for it? You see, the laborers are few. Not because he didn't call enough laborers. Every single one of us is a laborer. Did you know that? Every single one of you. Some people say, well, I'm not a pastor. It's not my responsibility. Wherever you work, wherever you stand, wherever you shop is your pulpit. It matters not whether it's a clinic, whether it's an assembly line, whether it's a truck, whether it's a cab. It matters not whether it's in a bank, whether you're a seat. Wherever you serve, wherever you stand is your pulpit. That's where God has ordained you. That's where He has put you to serve, to reach out in this great harvest. But what happens is that the laborers are few because we get so preoccupied. In Luke chapter 14, just four chapters ahead, you find that Jesus invited the people to come to a certain banquet. But they said, Lord, we can't come because I have bought some land, so I have to go check it out. The other group said, Lord, I can't come because I bought a yoke of oxen, so they couldn't come. Then the third group said, Lord, I can't come because I'm married, 
<laughs> I don't really get that one, right? <laughs> but he couldn't come. So there were excuses. But the harvest was still great. So then the Lord says, okay, if they won't come, then at least go into the highways and byways, bring everyone in because the harvest is great. And it's not the material possessions are bad. It's not that investing in things aren't good. In your job. It's not that relationships are bad. They are still good. But what happens is when they take precedence over the intensity of God's call to the harvest. When, when, when those things are first and foremost, then everything is off-center. That's why Jesus said as He exposed His heart through His words, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you as well. Priorities are what separates the laborers from the non-laborers. It's what's most important. The reality is we always have something better to do. We always come up with things to do. When a person doesn't want to do something, there's a million valid reasons why not. The excuses could be so good that you can't argue with them. So when a person says, well, I can't because of whatever reason, they just don't want to go. Now, why do I say that? Because when we really want something, you ever notice that we always find a way? Maybe not you, but the person sitting next to you could be really persistent that way. When you want something, you go for it, don't you? And nothing holds you back. So if the harvest is great, but the laborers are few, what do we have to do? We have to be laboring laborers. Be faithful wherever you stand. Uh, I love the words of one ancient uh, church father, as they call them, uh, in history that said, preach a good sermon, and if you have to, use words. Wherever you are, wherever you shop, wherever you live, you are called to be a laborer right there. You have been placed by a sovereign God to be part of the laboring laborers in the great harvest of God. So are you ready for that? Are you ready? The harvest, the call, but something happens next in the, as we expose the heart of Christ where he says, pray the Lord of the harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Now, when you look at that, you think, okay, pray. But we always pray for souls, don't we? We do. When I couldn't find my son, I prayed different. When I couldn't find him after several hours went by, my prayer changed it was a different prayer. And the word here that says pray is very different than the thank you Jesus, bless the meat and let's eat kind of prayer. This is the kind of prayer that in the Greek is the word deomai, deomai. So Jesus is saying, are you ready for this? The harvest is great. The laborers are few. Therefore, deomai. Deomai means beg, implore, cry from the depths of your heart for those that are not where they belong. Cry, beg. How can I illustrate it to you? Here's one way. 
just in your Bibles, if you look at Luke 8.38, you find the demoniac that was just healed is deomying Jesus. He's begging Jesus, Jesus, take me with you. Let me be one of your disciples. Take me with you. He's deomai. He's begging at the side of the boat. Begging. Jesus says, go and tell others what I have done for you. And another, another time that Delmai's use is in Luke 9, 38, where a boy is healed. And it says here that a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look at my son, for he is my only child. He's praying for his son. Now, it's the same word where Jesus says pray. He's saying pray, Deomai. Beg me, implore for power to reach those that are not reached. If Jesus is truly coming again, which He is, and if you don't think He isn't, well, guess what? You may not live another decade or two. He'll come when you breathe your last breath. It's over. Your fate has been sealed for eternity or not. And so when you pray for someone, Jesus is saying in light of eternity, The soul of that child matters so much to me that I ask you, my people, beg me for their souls. Beg me. Oh, damn my. Lord, save my son. Lord, help me find my little boy. Lord, help me find my lost daughter. Help me find my neighbor. You see, it's easy to see them in the temporal and say, oh, they're just nice folks and nice neighbors. But in light of eternity, God sees from a different perspective. So when He says, the harvest is great, the laborers are few, therefore, beg me. Beg me. Because this is what matters to God. This is what matters most is the eternal destiny of the people you can bless and touch. And so are you ready for this? Are you ready for the harvest? Are you ready for the call? Are you ready for Delmai? And then the next thing that happens is it says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. To send out laborers into his harvest. And so the next point here that I want to bring out is, are you ready to be cast out? The word where it says send out is actually a Greek word that is ekbalo. And ekbalo is not the way we normally decide whether God wants us to do something or accept a call or not. Because usually people say, Lord, I want to be a missionary in Hawaii. Anyone of you want to be a missionary in Hawaii? In the Caribbean, right? Yeah, closer to the equator. Where it's warmer. I hear you. I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. We want to be a certain way. But when Jesus says, Deomai, pray, beg the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest the actual word is communicating something that is cast out so what he's actually saying is pray that i may cast you out into the harvest the same word is used when jesus approached his disciples in john 21 and they had caught no fish and he says to them that's not working for you 
So cast the net on the other side. So they cast out the net. And they caught a great harvest. So ekbalo. Do you want to be cast out? There's no telling where he's going to throw you. Pastor, when I was praying, I was praying for the Lord to throw me east. Come on now, I'm being real, okay? Can I be transparent with you? Evelyn and I were praying to be thrown east. You see, we were, we were based just south of Fort Worth in the town of Burleson. We wanted to go east. <laughs> and there were several opportunities to go east. And something always happened. The, the Lord would say to us, no. And we're like, Lord, please, we want to go east. <laughs> and then we got a car to go to the northwest. <laughs> and I said, Lord, first thing I said is, Lord, is this a joke? <laughs> northwest? We've been praying to go east. Northwest? Boy, we went to prayer and fasting real fast. Because it didn't make any sense. I had never been in the Northwest. I didn't know anything about the Northwest. I was here one time for an ASI meeting in Spokane. And I saw the inside of the hotel for four days in the conference center. That was it. But the Lord said, do you really want to be cast where I want? You see, the word ekbalo is also something you could use to illustrate when a field goal or field kicker the NFL, American football, when he's going to kick a field goal, right? He sends off the ball. He ekbalos the ball between the poles. See? So here I am. Lord, send me east. And the Lord says, no, I'm sending you west. Lord, send me. No, you're going this way. That's the field goal for you. Do you trust him? Don't tell God what to do with you. Let him do what he wants to with you. Because when his, I love what one late preacher said, I'd rather be at the gates of hell than to be in the garden of Eden and have God ask, where art thou? Because being in the perfect center of God's will is the most beautiful place you could ever be. It's the safest place to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's the best place to be. So if you are where you are, in the job that you are, or in the neighborhood that you live, in this church that you attend, or another you may attend, when you are there, wherever you stand, it's right where He casts you, right where His sovereign will. Ask Him, Lord, is this your will? Then look around you, and I promise you that when you ask Him to open your eyes, you will see that the harvest is great all around you. He's always working. He's always moving in your neighborhood. He's always up to something. God never stops working. He's always moving. He's always talking. He's always setting up encounters for those that are laboring, begging to be cast into His harvest. And so He says, now go. I cast you out into the harvest. The next verse that we see is he says, Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Whoa, are you ready for this? Are we ready for this? 
okay, God, the harvest is great. You are calling us to be laboring laborers. You're asking us to beg to be in your perfect will and save your sons and daughters. You're asking us to allow you to cast us out into the field. And now, now that you're telling us and asking us if we're ready for this, now he says, by the way, you're a lamb and I'm sending you where the wolves are. Are you ready for this? If there's one thing that breaks my heart in administrative work that I've seen over the decades of ministry is when sheep try to be wolves to deal with wolves. You know, there are church folk that act like wolves, but they're sheep. It's almost laughable. Because the wolves look at them and think, is this some kind of joke? He says, look, you are sheep, and I send you out amongst wolves. So, how do I handle that? I'm not a wolf. And a lamb that growls like a wolf is not very threatening. You might have been a wolf, but praise God, you're now the sheep of his pasture. Amen? I don't like half-converted sheep wolves. They're dangerous. <laughs> so what is Jesus asking us if we're ready for this? I thought about that for quite a while. And I remembered an experience I had. I was about the same age, Pastor Sergio, as you were when you got your bike kind of taken from you. But what I was doing is I was working with my dad. My dad used to drive an 18-wheeler. And I was barely 11 years old or so. And I would get out of the truck and I would back him down to, you know, the narrow passages. And he was backing up that big semi, I remember this so clearly, into a mini storage place, a, a public storage place. And I'm giving him good directions. I knew enough to know when he was going to hit something. Come on. So I was telling him to back up. But I was at an angle and the corner of the trailer, I didn't see that there were low-hanging electrical lines to the unit, to those units. And so I kept telling them to come on back. And suddenly I hear electric wires snapping. Pop, 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 pop. And um, I put my hands up for him to stop. And I turn and I walk over to see the wires and I realized, you know, oops, <laughs> what you going to do? When out of the office comes what to me was a massive man. He was huge to a little 11-year-old boy. And as he came and approached me, he was speaking things that no 11-year-old should ever have to hear. And with both of his fists clenched, he was approaching me, stomping his feet, speaking dangerously <laughs> ugly for a little boy for anybody and so I froze in fear I, what, do I, what do I do the guy was huge to me and I just stand there and the man's approaching me see I was like a little lamb to the slaughter amen <laughs> he's gonna tear me up Jesse and while I'm standing there and he's approaching me I hear the air brakes of the trailer, you know, the wheels locking in place. 
And as he's approaching me, someone from behind me is coming just as quickly as possible with his fist clenched. My dad saw what was going on. And he jumped out of the cab. And he came very quickly. And he moved in front of me. And suddenly the man became tame. <laughs> His demeanor changed. He suddenly stepped back and said, didn't you see the wires? And my dad and him spoke for a few minutes and it was all done. I was safe. Here's my point. I don't want you to miss this. I send you a sheep among wolves. Our protection as sheep is not in us being a wolf, but it's in the care of the shepherd. Come on now. You see, when the enemy comes to attack you, to assail you, and, and you see the trials and the darkness and the winds of strife all around you, and you're tempted to think, what am I going to do? You know, uh, how do, I need to be a, a wolf to, to challenge this. I need to be all these. Be still and know that He is your God. He is the shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to understand my heart for souls. I want you to understand my heart for people. I want you to understand how much this matters to me to have every single one in the kingdom. This matters so much. Beg me. Be laboring laborers in this. And I want you to know that I'm sending you a sheep among wolves. But don't be afraid because wherever you go, I will be with you. No matter what you may face, I will confront the enemy for you. Whatever assails you, I will stand between you and the enemy i will be a strong tower unto you no thing no evil shall befall you or come near your dwelling because the lord will protect you so our protection is in the shepherd jesus is saying you don't I, you don't have to do fight this i got this i've got this just stay under the shadow of my wing Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow and death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will be in the house of the Lord forever. That's his ultimate goal for us. We need the shepherd. And so we're going to end right here at this section. Are we ready for this? Are we ready for the harvest? Are you? Because the harvest is great. Are you ready to be laboring laborers? Because there's other things you need to do, right? But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Are you ready to pray like you haven't prayed before? Are you? Are you ready to pray that Dale my prayer? Are you ready to be cast out? And finally, for this presentation, I end with this last point that you heard. Are you ready for the risk? 
Are you confident that the shepherd has got you? He made a promise to each one of us. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He saved you. Now it's time for you and I to go and save others by telling them our story. This is what Jesus did for me. How much more can He do for you? If He saved someone like me, He can surely save someone like you. Because our God is an awesome God. So are you ready for this? To be the hands and the feet of Jesus? Stand with me. Stand with me. That is your desire. To pray for the souls. To ask the Lord to cast us into His harvest. Lord, You see we stand. The harvest is great and the laborers are few. There is a great work to be done all around us. Father, You want us to be faithful to our call. And each one of us is called. And Lord, as we walk in the valley of shadows and of death, help us to fear no evil, for Thou art with us. And so, Lord, we need You. Protect us. Shield us. And as You have saved us, may we go out and save our friends and our neighbors with our testimony that if God could do it for us, He could do it for them. And so we love You, Lord. And we stand because we're ready for this to happen. Awaken. Open our eyes to the great harvest before us. In Jesus' name.